Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. You know what? I'm sorry. It's it's we've been doing this for too long. It, it's time time for me to reveal the truth. I I, I misspoke. I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take that intro again. Yeah. Okay. okay. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Rick Raskin, I am Kiran Mulvey. There, I feel so much better now that you are uh, for anyone listening who is particularly confused, if you didn't watch the, uh, you know, more confused than usual, if you didn't watch the Fox boxing broadcast on uh, Saturday night, Lennox Lewis uh, clarified that his name is pronounced Lennox, not Lennox, uh, as he, he's let Americans apparently pronounce it wrong his whole career, his whole life. Um, and so uh, that is uh, that is the inspiration for that. And, you know, I kind of want to give Lennox, I'm going to try and pronounce it the way he wants me to, I, I kind of want to give him grief for not speaking up when people said his name wrong all his life, but my high school cross-country coach called me Eric Raskins with an S on the end for the entire two years I ran for him, and I never corrected him. Uh, and, and of course, you famously shared a stage with a certain Hollywood actor who called you I... Kiernan over and over, and you never corrected him. So uh, we, we we get you, Lennox. We, we, we do. I actually... During that period on stage, I actually interviewed Lennox. Oh, wow. Well, During isn't, that. Isn't yeah, that yeah. the coinkydink? It is indeed. And, and also uh, Robert O'Duran, <laughs> the, the famous Panamanian the boxer. Right. He was, boxer, uh, he was, oh. He was also boxer, on the stacky. Yes. <laughs> on the stacky with us. All right. Well, that's enough fun. <laughs> we, we could really torture people and mispronounce every word for an entire podcast. Uh. Uh, right. And then we could do an over-under on how many people would know. And notice. There you go. Um, <laughs> this week on the podcast, we have the second <laughs> Showtime Championship Boxing card of the Mohegan Sun bubble era to preview. Uh, on Saturday night, undefeated super middleweight David Benavidez headlines against Roma Angulo, supported by heavyweight action between Otto Valin and Travis Kaufman, and a clash of unbeaten lightweights, Raleigh Romero and Jackson Marinez. Uh, we will discuss those matchups and the various subplots. Uh, we will make our predictions and we'll round up the other news and boxing action around the globe. But we would begin the podcast this week with a special guest. He has won world titles at 118, 122 and 126 pounds. And his professional boxing record currently stands at 31, 3 and 1 with 15 KOs. But of late, he has been gaining attention for his work outside the ring. Along with Kay Abdo and Sean Porter, he was part of the popular inside PBC boxing shows on Fox Sports. And last week, he joined Mora Ronaldo, Steve Farhood, and Al Bernstein in calling the Showtime Championship boxing card at Mohegan Sun, a role he will be repeating this coming Saturday. He is the newest member of the Showtime broadcast team, and he is, of course, Abner Mares. Abner, welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> that was a great introduction, my man. Really great. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm, I'm really privileged and uh, honored to be on. Well, look, congratulations on joining the Showtime broadcast team, at, at least Thank for you. now, um, for these August cards. How did this come about and how much notice did you have before you, <laughs> you ended up on that, the, the Leo Williams card? Right. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I laughed because when you asked how much time did you have, I'm going to be truly honest. 
it was from a day to another. So it was Wednesday. I'm I'm having my normal day, you know, my my own business. I'm I get the call from Steven Espinoza. And you know, when you get a call from Steven, it's 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 something interesting for sure, you know. It's gotta be something interesting. I'm like, okay, he's gonna call me and tell me I got a date for a fight. Let's do this. But no, it was um quite the opposite. You know, he, he called Abner, you know, um, we kind of need need you. It's an emergency, blah, blah, blah. If you can't do it, do not commit. It's okay. We understand it's last minute. And, you know, my only thing was like, Steven, I'm, I'm okay. I can do it. One little thing. It's like, what's that? I've got pink hair. <laughs> I've got pink <laughs> hair. Like, it's, it's, is it okay for camera? Like, you know, and um, he was like, you got the personality. You're, you're a great guy. I, I think you can pull it off. So, you know, I took it and, uh, yeah, it was from Wednesday and I flew the next, very next day to Connecticut. I think it's safe to say you didn't have the worst hair on the broadcast. <laughs> Looking at you, Moro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I thought, if, if anything, I thought the pink hair looked, uh, looked pretty good on TV. It set, sets you apart a little bit, so nothing wrong with that. Thank yeah. you. Um, so I'm curious about uh, what life is like inside these bubbles, you know, other than... Uh, us getting to see Bernardo Osuna reporting uh, a little bit on how things worked inside the ESPN MGM bubble. Uh, we, we don't really know uh, much about what goes on in there. So, so what can you tell us about the Mohegan Sun bubble? How, how restrictive is it? Is it, are the days kind of boring while you're there? How, how does that all work? It is, it is beyond boring, but um, <laughs> to my advantage, I think it was the right thing because I needed work. I needed to study. I needed to um, concentrate on what was happening. Um, but yeah, basically, you know, you get there, temperature is taken, you get to your room, you got a quarantine, you get tested that same night, if not early the next morning, uh, and you have to quarantine yourself until you get the results, and then you take it from there. You are not able to step into the uh, Showtime office or anywhere near the arena for sure until you are confirmed uh, negative. So, I mean, it's it's pretty pretty strict, um, obviously for the reasons. And, and uh, but but at the same time, I mean, like I said, on my end, I think it it worked perfectly because I needed time to study. So I was I was stuck in I was stuck in my room. Okay. And, you know, like Bernardo, when ESPN did it, he was there for weeks on end. Was there ever any thought to keeping you in the bubble for the, the whole two weeks straight through? Was that ever discussed? Because I know, you, as yes. you mentioned before we started recording, you're back in L.A. now. Yes. Yeah. No. And you know what? It was a risk, too, because, uh, again, I, I got called one, one day to another. So it, without now what the process is, I'm, I'm getting tested before I'm flying out. Okay. So I'll find out if I'm good or not, you know, to fly out. But uh, prior to this one, I just, you know, I took, the, I took the risk. So what happens if I come out positive, if I was, if, and if I were in Connecticut, I have to quarantine for 14 days in my hotel room. So imagine that, that was the risk I was taking, but thank God everything's good. You know, I'm keeping myself, um, you know, protected, you know. Um, so, so focusing on that card, you know, the, the four main fighters, uh, on that August 1st card. We're, they're all pretty close to your weight, you know, 122 pounds. Mm -hmm. And what did you think of the two two winners, uh, Angela Leo and Reis Alim? Uh, anything about them sort of exceed your expectations at all? Yes. Um, I mean, I don't want to take sides. I don't want to pick favorite. But, uh, I mean, 
both were, were I think, um, both were exciting in their own way, in their own fashion. I think Leo, um, the way that uh, he just pressured and figured out, um, you know, how to get the win and how to get dig into the body was was uh, tremendous. It was um, I, I did not expect that from you could say a, a young, still tested fighter. You know, still to be you know, known if he was um, ready for these championship fights. And, and now he's a world champion. And, and, and I think he exceeded what, what I was expecting. Mm. And, um, um, I mean, great win. Obviously, his backstory um, from, um, from him being driving all the way to Vegas, uh, sleeping in, in his car outside of the gym for a few weeks, if not months, uh, just for the reason that he was looking for for an opportunity to to be the next champion, and I mean those those are the great stories that really hit you. Yeah, of course the the, the main event was scheduled, as we know, to be Leo against Stephen Fulton until Stephen contracted COVID. Um, assuming that matchup does get remade and, and Stephen recovers well, how do you see that going? I think Eric and I both had I think Fulton as the favorite slightly going into that. Would you agree with that? Or after seeing the way Leo performed the other night, maybe not? So after after his performance, I wanna I wanna say it was a fifty fifty. I did have Fulton favorite uh prior to to seeing uh, Leo fight Leo. Um and um but after seeing his fight I I, I think it's a really Really even matchup. Um, I know Fulton is really looking forward to it. I, as we saw at, on his interview um, after the fight, he was he was throwing punches. At, I mean, the guy was ready. You know, it's really unfortunate what happened, but um, if we get if we get that fight, it's going to be a treat for everyone. Yeah, as, as Kieran said on uh, the, our, the podcast we did last week, he couldn't imagine someone being in such a positive, amped up mood while COVID positive. It was a, a strange, <laughs> uh, strange sort of uh, balance there, yes, uh, the way yes. Fulton was acting. So turning our attention to this next card coming up, uh, it's headlined by David Benavidez versus Romer mm-hmm. Angulo. Um, we had Breadman Edwards on the podcast last week, and he was very high on Benavidez, says he really thinks he's the real deal. Are you similarly high on, on Benavidez? And, and do you see any, any weaknesses in his game to this point? Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Uh, listen, I think this guy's the full package. This guy's got the power, he's got the size, he's got the reach. The only thing that, you know, I would call him perfect. Other than his body, to be honest, I mean, he doesn't have like the like the perfect body, but um, I mean, who needs a body when you can punch punch that big, you know? Um, and I think he is that man. He is that guy. Uh, but again, you know, when it comes to boxing, you can't take anyone lightly. Except uh, even you know, Romer Alexis Angulo, who is a power puncher. So in boxing, you can never you know take anyone lightly. Uh, one punch can change the fight. So the one thing about uh, Angulo's record that, that jumped out at me was seeing his result against Zerto Ramirez, who 
in some ways it has some similarities to David Benavidez and, and Angulo lost that fight in one-sided fashion. Do you see any reason to expect he'll be more competitive against Benavidez or does it strike you as a pretty similar style matchup? Well, I mean, Surdo Ramirez is the lefty. He's more of a boxer puncher. Um, I think Benavidez is more of a killer type of guy instinct. You know, he, he sees blood, he sees an opportunity and he takes it. Um, 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 Ramirez is more of a pace, like I'll take my time, I'll break you down type of fighter. So I, I see a totally different fight. Again, Angulo, I think, has, you know, he has his momentum going. I mean, he, he, let's not forget, he just beat an un, un, undefeated fighter in Anthony Sims Jr., 20-0, and 0, and it, he's got it. You know, he's got the momentum going. He's, he feels that he, he, he can take on uh, Benavides. So, um, again, I see um, not – I don't want to say an even matchup, but a competitive and still game Angulo. Um, we've also got on that card uh, Otto Valin against Travis Kaufman, which I think gives us the first fight between two guys who've both had COVID. Um, <laughs> Valin will be the favorite, but, but what do you see as, as his ceiling? You know, was, the, was the, his performance against Fury, did that show that he's like a legitimately tough test for the best guys? Or was there just something about that fight and about the cuts that was just a little bit fluky? Listen, I think anyone that fights Fury will definitely get a learning experience and, and, and grow from there. And I think he, 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 that's the case on him. Um, and I think that uh, we are expecting a, a different fighter, you know, a, a more, um, a more finesse, a more, um, you could say, a more experienced fighter, you know, coming into this fight. So I'm really looking forward to him. Um, so the, the opening fight on the card uh, gets, uh, gets us back down around your weight class. It pits uh, Raleigh Romero against Jackson Marinez. Uh, Romero is already calling out the likes of, of Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis, uh, which is a, a pretty bold move uh, given where he is in his career. Does he need to slow down a little bit with that, or does he strike you as the kind of talent where he's on that level and it's not so crazy for him to be calling those guys out? No, that's his style. He, he he needs to be doing that. It really is is that type of guy, and especially if you hang around with Mayweather, TMT. Yeah. That I mean, you know, you expect that from anyone. You know, you call everyone, and um, and you back it up too. I mean, this guy's got the power. This guy's got a a unique type of style, different. Um, you know, and I think he's is right. And I, I mean, he's got to he's, he can back it up too. I I believe he's got sparring sessions where. He, 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 um, he did some damage uh, to um, Ryan Garcia. So, I mean, this, 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 kid, is, um, this kid is something else, man. Broly, I, I like him. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Hey, uh, so speaking of Tank Davis, uh, he's going to be taking on someone you're very familiar with, uh, Leo Santa Cruz, mm -hmm. uh, headlining a Showtime pay-per-view on October 24th. How do you handicap that matchup? Obviously, Santa Cruz, great experience, great skills. But are there reasons to be concerned about whether this is like too much uh, of a weight increase for him and whether he can take Tank's punches? Well, I was concerned at the moment when I heard about fighting Tank Davis because we all know that Tank had moved to 135 division. So I said, Leo is making that big jump. But then once I heard they're making – Javante Tank Davis dropped down to 130. Mm. I said, hmm, this is where it gets interesting because you're draining a man who could barely make 135, who he didn't make weight, you know, against Gamboa. Now you're dropping him to 130. You're going to have 
some type of advantage. If not, you're gonna you're gonna sum the um, the equality there. It's it's gonna be an even even fight because of that. I think Leo is a volume puncher. Leo is a, a type of guy that tires you round by round. And if you are dehydrated, if you're losing weight, and if you're at that position, you have an advantage, you know. Uh, so Tank Davis got to be careful with that. I, I think mm. he's got to he's got to start losing weight. He's got to concentrate on that and do not leave it at the last moment, at the last minute. I mean, the style is there, the the the, the talent is there. You can't you can't buy that. It, 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 it's it's. I mean, you could work. Tank Davis could work one week and, and still be able to to adjust and, and, and show he's a great fight because he is that talented. But mm. if you are always having trouble with weight, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to set you back a bit. And, and I think that's what we saw against Gamboa uh, when he fought Jurorikis Gamboa. I mean, we were expecting a lot more from Tank Davis and Gamboa took him to, to deep waters in, in moments despite Tank Davis getting the knockdown and knockout. Mm. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to The Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. All right, so we, we've asked you a, a lot of questions about other fighters. Uh, let's finish with one about you, Abner. Um, it's been more than two years since your last fight, uh, and I know you had your second detached retina surgery in the interim. Uh, you're 34 years old. It's only natural for us to wonder uh, what, what you have ahead of you if you're still an active <laughs> fighter. So what, what right. can you tell us on that front? Well, <laughs> I can tell you this much. I, I am coming back. I, I cannot, I, and I repeat, I cannot go out without, without a bang, without fighting. Mm-hmm. I do not want to be known or remembered as a fight who had an injury. And, and to be clear, it would detach retina and he, and, he, and he quit. You know, not quit, but he retired. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm given the opportunity, which I am given the opportunity, I'm cleared by my doctor to fight again. I'm 34, you mentioned. I feel that um, obviously I'm not in my prime, but I am in a mo- moment where I feel like I still have a lot left to, and, and to, to give to the fans and to prove to myself that I could still fight in this elite level. So with that said, I, I see myself fighting hopefully by the end of the year, if not early next year. Um, this obviously this quarantine, this COVID uh, backtrack, I think um, everyone in every aspect and every sport um, but, um, yeah, there's still, there's still time. There's still a little bit of abnormalities left in me. And, and uh, I think the people miss my style and, and my performance. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely have loved watching you fight over the years. So hopefully you do have uh, some more fights left in you, but, uh, the, then again, the, 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 the good news is, uh, even, even if you are getting near the end of your career as a fighter, uh, it's looking like you might just have a career in broadcasting to fall back on. So that's always nice. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, my man. I mean, <laughs> listen, and I want to throw it out there from a man, a kid who, who, who always, always, thought about becoming a world champion and did it not only in one, two, but three different divisions and four time um, to, to a kid who went to Olympics 
to a kid who did not finish school. And I'm going to throw it out there. I, I'm a high school dropout, my man. Mm-hmm. You know, to get this opportunity and to be doing what I'm doing, I am I'm, I'm beyond blessed. I am I'm 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 happy. I'm 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 gracious. I'm I'm in, I'm in a moment where and a point where I'm 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 really an inspiration to myself and to a lot of people. You know, I am, and 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 I just want to throw it out there because I know there's a lot of people going through bad times, especially right now with the COVID. People not knowing what's the next step, what to do. Hey, you know, opportunities come your way. Just wait. God is good, and and just you know, just always. Have that faith in God. Uh, I'm not, from one high school dropout to another, uh, it has been a real pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> hey, my bad. My bad. Hey, I'm, I'm we can do it. Um, hey, What's look, up, all man? the best with your work ringside on Saturday hey, and with video hey, broadcasting. And with hey. when you get back in the ring as well, all the best to you. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks. Wow, what what an enormously likable guy. Uh, that, that was great. Uh, we we apologize for a few moments of Zoom audio imperfection there. Uh, pretty much everyone on the planet uh, has used Zoom since the pandemic began, so we probably don't need to explain how if one person's internet connection is a little weak, you get some blips and freezes. And we had a few of those with Abner, as you might have noticed, despite our best efforts to clean them up in editing. But it was well worth the minor technological challenges. I really enjoyed talking to Abner. Yeah, me too. What a great guy. Um, We've been really fortunate, I feel, over the last few months with some of our guests, you know, like Joseph Parker was fantastic, Joe Goosen, Mm -hmm. uh, Derek James, among others. Um, Don't want to insult anybody else because we've had a ton of great guests. But definitely say Stephen Espinosa. Make sure you you include him. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, but Avner was really something else. What a what a joy to have. And I, yeah. while I don't know what the long term plans are him are for him to be broadcasting for Showtime, uh, I do hope we have a chance to speak to him some more. Mm-hmm. Um, Avner offered some excellent insights on this Saturday's fight card that he'll be calling for Showtime, and now it's our turn. Well, maybe we're not going to offer excellent insights. <laughs> maybe not actually any insight as much. No. We we speak words on fight now, <laughs> right? Um, there you go. Beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, it is a Showtime Championship Boxing triple header. And the main event provides our first look in 2020 at undefeated super middleweight rising star David Benavidez, uh, just 23 years old, uh, 22-0 and 0 with 19 KOs. Uh, he meets 10-year pro Romer Alexis Angulo of Colombia, 26-1 and 1 with 22 KOs, and coming off a career-best win, as Abner mentioned, uh, decisioning unbeaten prospect Anthony Sims Jr. on January 30th of this year, although you could make the case that Sims lost that fight more than Angulo won it. Um, in the past two weeks on this podcast, Eric, uh, we've heard Bradman Edwards gush over Benavides, as you mentioned earlier. We just heard Abner Mares say that his only weakness is his physique. Um, and we've seen the promos for this fight, claiming that Benavides has, quote, no weaknesses. Uh, are you on board with this line of thinking, or do you see some weaknesses in Benavides, or at least have some questions or concerns about him? So the physique point from Abner was interesting, but as he hinted, big muscles don't win fights. So so I'm not even sure I'd call that a weakness. Uh, that said, I, I do absolutely have some concerns. This is a guy who was briefly stripped of a title for testing positive for cocaine. Uh, that's not the end of the world, you know, one incident like that. But I'd say it qualifies as something to, to flag and, and be concerned about. The other thing is his defense. Uh, this is a, a six foot two inch super middleweight who doesn't use his height all that well, who prefers to rumble and try to knock guys out. 
and he gets caught a fair amount. Uh, Andre Durrell landed some clean left hooks against him. Benavidez, of course, got dropped by a, a counter left hook in round 12 against Ronald Gavril. Uh, and that fight, their first fight, went to a split decision. So, you know, I, I don't mean to contradict our network's promos, but Benavidez has weaknesses. Uh, now, they happen to be outweighed about 10 to 1 by his strengths. Um, you know, his punching power, the way he throws hard to the body. He has a good jab when he uses it. He can keep a fast pace, puts on a lot of pressure. I'd say he's he's close to a complete offensive fighter, and he's a handful for any opponent, but he has a few question marks surrounding him still. So I would say I'm a little less sold than, than Breadman and Mares. We'll see if he does something against Angulo to get me in that totally sold camp, mm. but I'm not quite there yet. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Um, and I asked Abner a question about Angulo's lone loss, a, a lopsided decision to Zerto Ramirez. And he correctly pointed out that Zerto and Benavidez, although they're built similarly, they're, they're both extremely tall and lanky, they don't actually have a lot in common stylistically. In a nutshell, Abner said that Angulo can punch, and that makes him a threat here. And Benavidez is definitely an offensive-minded fighter, so it's not impossible to see him getting caught, you know, Benavidez throws a lot of punches. Angulo tends to create slower-paced affairs. So I'm curious, Kieran, what do you see as the stylistic possibilities here, and what would Angulo have to do to pull off the upset? Yeah, I think, you know, if, if there is a glimmer of hope here for, for Angulo, it's, as, as you alluded to just now, um, that even as uh, Benavidez has remained undefeated, even as he's blasted opponents out, he has engaged in a fair old number of firefights. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in his last five fights, uh, he's thrown 69 punches per round, Benavidez, which is a lot, but his opponents have averaged 67.8. Um, and although he connected more and he had more power connects and he had a higher connect percentage than all his opponents, he did also show a vulnerability to the jab. Uh, his opponents threw 37.7 jabs per round and landed six. Um, those connects are lower than Benavidez's 7.4 per round, but both connects and attempts in terms of jabs are well above the division average there of 22.5 and 4.5. That said, his defense is improving. Uh, his last five fights... His opponents connected on 29% of their power shots, but in the previous five, it was 41%. Mm. Um, but working against Angulo a little bit here is, you know, if Benavidez's particular weakness is the jab, Angulo actually isn't much of a jabber. Um, seven out of every eight connects uh, are power shots for him. He, he's, a, he's a real power-punching guy, especially with that right hand. Um, you know, where he was somewhat successful at times against Ramirez and very successful against Sims was, as you alluded to, greatly diminishing their output. He's one of those guys who may, who just seems like he has the ability to slow his opponents down, maybe make them think a little bit too much before throwing. And I think that's what he has to do against Benavidez. The more exciting and fast-paced the fight, 
the more likely that Benavidez is to win it because that's the kind of fight that he has been winning. He's been getting into these, throw a lot of punches. I'll take two to, to land two and a half and my <laughs> two and a half are going to hurt a lot more than your two. That If it gets into that kind of fight, I'm you've got to fancy Benavidez. If it starts slow and stays slow, that's what Angulo's going to have to do. And he's probably going to have to rely on his jab a little bit more than he has done. Make it even a little bit boring if Angulo's going to try and win this year. Uh, let's move on to the co-feature. Uh, as I mentioned to Abner, almost certainly the first all-COVID showdown in boxing. Uh, Otto Valin, who joined us on the podcast a couple of months ago to talk about his experience with the virus. Meeting Travis Kaufman, who was symptomatic for about a week back in March, um, and whose family also suffered quite a bit. His dad certainly really struggled with it. Um, both heavyweights are now apparently recovered. Uh, Valin from Sweden uh, is 20 and one with 13 KOs and one no contest and gave, as we mentioned uh, earlier, Tyson Fury a real struggle last September, while Kaufman has a record of 32 and three with 23 KOs and one no decision. He's probably not as serious a contender as Valin, as Kaufman has tended to fall short when stepping up, uh, including in his last fight against Luis Ortiz. Uh, Valin is a lefty. Kaufman has lost twice to lefties. Um, despite that, Breadman Edwards told us last week that he thought it looked like an even fight. Uh, how do you see that matchup? And here's the other important thing. Given how snake-bitten Valin has been in his previous efforts to fight on Showtime, two cancellations, one first-round head clash, no contest, especially in this COVID cancellation era, uh, should we all be keeping our fingers crossed uh, for Valin from now until the bell rings? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm knocking wood throughout this entire segment. <laughs> That's my, I'm working on my wooden desk here. That was me knocking it. Uh, Valin has been the unluckiest would-be Showtime fighter of the last couple of years. And Kaufman yeah. is, is not exactly living a charmed life either. As you mentioned, his dad had a real struggle with COVID and uh, Kaufman had been trained or co-trained for his last nine fights by Nazim Richardson, who, of course, uh, just yeah. died recently from complications from a stroke he suffered late last year. Uh, on the COVID front, though, I guess we should feel more comfortable about this fight coming off than most, since while we don't know everything we need to know yet about antibodies and reinfection, it can't hurt to have antibodies, right? right? Um, so we'll see on that front. Fingers and toes definitely all crossed uh, for this one. As for the matchup, I feel like Breadman was being generous to his fellow Philadelphia area guy in Kaufman. You know, maybe they're friendly and, and he didn't want to insult him. I don't know. But I think Kaufman is the clear underdog here on paper. He's tough, but he's slow. He tends to get tired a few rounds deep. He's getting up there in age, turning 35 a few days after the fight. He hasn't fought in 20 months. And as you said, his history against good southpaw heavyweights isn't encouraging. I happen to think Otto Valin is legit, is probably one of the mm -hmm. 10 best heavyweights in the world right now, even if he doesn't have the resume to back that ranking up. His performance against Fury told me that this is a guy who knows how to fight. He's tough. He's smart. He's athletic for a six foot five inch heavyweight. He's yeah. not easily intimidated. He says that after Kaufman, he wants Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, or a rematch with Fury. Now, as we know, those guys are all booked up with mandatories and whatnot for a little while. But I do think it speaks to where Valine thinks he fits in at heavyweight. Yeah. Uh, and I suspect, despite what Breadman thinks of this matchup, I suspect Valine sees Kaufman as a stepping stone more so than a threat. 
Um, opening up the card is our second look on Showtime at Mayweather Promotions lightweight prospect Rolando Roli Romero, 11-0, 10 KOs. In his first scheduled 12-rounder, he takes on Dominican fighter Jackson Marinez, trained by the excellent Robert Garcia, more a slick speedster than a power puncher, as his record of 19-0 with just seven knockouts suggests. Marinez has a lot more professional experience than Romero in terms of rounds, 115 rounds to just 25 for Romero. And he also has good gym experience, having sparred with Jose Ramirez and Virgil Ortiz. But Romero comes in as the A-side. You know, Steven Espinoza singled him out on our podcast as one of the fighters he's really looking forward to seeing in action. Are you in lockstep with Steven on that, uh, Kieran? And although there isn't a lot of video of Marinez out there, from what you've seen, what does he have going for him that makes him a threat to take Romero's O? So based on what I've seen, he seems to be a pretty technically sound guy. Um, most notably, he has a nice, fast, straight counter right. Um, in a way, it's funny looking at video of him. He looks a little bit like more of a Floyd Mayweather fighter than the actual Floyd Mayweather fighter. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's hard to tell how good Marinez is because his level of opposition has been so poor. But, you know, to some extent, that's true at this point of Romero, too, who's only had one fight that was scheduled to go past six rounds. Um, so Romero is a hard hitter. He's a very aggressive boxer. He's a little stiff-legged, and he's looking to do damage with every punch. Generally, he does just that. Uh, he's got a good stiff jab and a strong right hand behind it. Does keep his chin a smidgen high. It's it's hard to tell how high Romero's ceiling might be. He, he's awfully raw still, which you'd expect. The guy's 11 and 0, and he's barely been past two rounds in any of his fights. Like you mentioned, he's got like 25 total rounds right. uh, of professional experience. Uh, it may be that he's one of those guys who can blow out lower level opposition, but on the way up doesn't maybe get enough testing and enough refinement so that when he steps it up a couple levels, he's found a little wanting. Or he might be one of those guys who can just continue to do what he's doing as he steps up. I don't know. Um, what Marinez has to do, basically, is extend him. As you mentioned, he's got a lot more experience than Romero. I think he needs to circle to his right, to Romero's left, make him reach with a jab, um, and leave himself open to Marinez's counter-right hand, which is quite nice. Um, can Marinez do that? Well, you know what? Let's make our prediction, shall we? There we go. Let's do that. Uh, it is prediction time. I am still eating 24-23 after two fights were changed last time, and we both scored goose eggs for the George Escudero rematch. Um, yeah, let's start with that Romero-Marinez fight. Um, so, yeah, look, as I mentioned, I think Marinez has to extend this fight. He has to move during it. He has to use his feet and his movement and, and, and technically solid skills. I suspect that it is going to be somebody who is not dissimilar to Marina as a skilled, fast counterpuncher who will be the undoing of Romero if anyone is to be the undoing of Romero. But I'm not convinced that it's going to be this reasonably skilled, fast counterpuncher who's going to be the undoing of Romero. Uh, if he can take it into the later rounds, he has a chance. Um, eight of Romero's 11 fights um, have been finished inside of three rounds. Only one's made it six. And as you mentioned, this is scheduled as a 12-rounder. But Marinez could be hit himself. Romero is pretty relentless. Uh, I don't think that Marinez has enough on his punches to dissuade Romero. Uh, maybe Romero takes a round or two to make his mark. But I think once he gets going, he will keep plowing forward. And I think he will stop Marinez, uh, I think, probably in the fourth round. 
Oh, okay. Uh, well, as long as this fight comes off uh, and doesn't end in a draw, uh, we will have some swing here. Uh, because, uh, you know, I don't know how smart this is, but I'm going with the upset pick here. I almost did, you know, for, yeah, okay. I'm, gl- I'm glad you didn't, because uh, it would have been a little boring in a way if we'd both gone with the upset pick. Uh, so uh, I'm glad we have a difference of opinion in our picks here. But, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of trusting my gut. And after watching a fair amount of both guys... I really like this matchup for Marinez. He certainly has less hype around him, but he's fast, he's skilled, he's confident. And from what I can tell, he's certainly more polished than Raleigh Romero. Uh, Romero's kind of raw. His mind is on offense. I think he really telegraphs his jab. Um, A quick, smart fighter can counter it pretty well. And I I think Marinez is just that kind of fighter. So I like Marinez here by close decision. And... I was thinking about unanimous decision. That was kind of my instinct. But we've seen some weird scorecards, and Romero is the A-side. So let's say split decision for Marinas. Um, And I'm up first with the heavyweight fight, Valine Kaufman. And this one is relatively easy for me. I just don't think Kaufman is on Valine's level. I could see him doing well for a round or two, but then Valine separates himself, and I think he pounds out a stoppage. Uh, it's just a matter of what round. Would it be early, mid-rounds, get into the late rounds? I'm going Otto Valin, KO8. Yeah, for me, the only issue here was whether it's a stoppage or whether Kaufman hangs on. Um, you know, I mean, as you mentioned, Kaufman is tough. Um, you know, Luis Ortiz is a monster, and he dropped him a couple times, and Kaufman got up before he was. Kaufman was eventually stopped um, in, the, in the final round. That makes me think that maybe, especially with everybody a little bit rusty, that Kaufman just might have enough to hang in there and make it to the end. Um, it'll be a clear Valin win. Uh, it's, if there's going to be a stoppage, I, I don't see like a clean knockout. Right. It's a referee or corner stoppage um, just because he's just taking too much Kaufman and not offering enough. But to stay on the track of remaining different... Uh, I will say he hangs in there and Kaufman, but Valin wins a wide unanimous decision. All right. Uh, as for the main event, when it comes to David Benavidez, um, yeah, I'm somewhere between your camp and Redman and Abner's. Um, uh, really, especially since he brutalized Jay Lee and Love. Um, mm-hmm. For all his flaws, I've been on the Benavidez train. I was actually quite surprised to realize that he's still only 23. It feels like he's lived quite the boxing life and quite the life generally already. Uh, I think he has. I think he's very good, and I think he has the capacity to become very, very good. Um, you know, as we mentioned, Angulo does have the capacity to take the sting out of fights somewhat. Um, but then I was thinking, even if he does that, uh, Benavidez doesn't just throw a lot of punches. He's very accurate with them too, and the ones that land are pretty hard. Angulo does have that powerful right hand. But as we discussed, is his jab good enough and strong enough to take advantage of Benavidez's work in progress defense? I don't think it is. Um, I think Benavidez has what it takes after perhaps a difficult start to ultimately win this impressively. I think it might take him a few rounds to get fully in the groove because I don't think we should underestimate Angulo here, who is a good fighter. But I do think that once Benavidez does get in that groove, he can be like a truck speeding downhill. And, and I can see his punch output progressively increasing and his power taking a toll. I think Angulo will last a long time. He'll be competitive early. Um, but eventually Benavidez will just take over. He eventually drops him, jumps on him, and prompts a referee stoppage in round nine. 
nine. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I look at Angulo and I see him as someone who is dangerous. Uh, that and and Benavidez figures to give him openings. I think this is a classic case of a fight where the two boxers are on different levels, but the lesser boxer definitely has a puncher's chance. Um, mm. I have to pick Benavidez. I'll give that away right now. I'm not picking the upset here. I'm just saying that it's not the kind of pick where I can't possibly see him losing. It has maybe a mm. hint of that Joe George, Marcos Escudero potential where I don't expect Angulo to be punching enough to win rounds, but his goal is to land the big punch. The right. most likely scenario, though, for me is Benavidez proves fairly dominant, fights at a pace Angulo can't keep up with, and it's simply a, a struggle for me to decide whether or not Benavidez can force the stoppage that you predicted he'll force. And uh, let's keep the theme going of there being a little right. difference of opinion in every fight. Yeah, I'm going to say that he can't force the stoppage, that it ends up a lopsided unanimous decision for Benavidez as Angulo covers up and protects himself enough to last. I think if Benavidez really focuses on the body, that would make the difference in terms of him proving my pick wrong. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and predict he headhunts a little bit and it goes the distance. And that that is, if there's another weakness of Benavidez, it is that, right? That he doesn't really go to the body enough and he does right. tend to headhunt. So yeah, that'll be interesting to see. All right, good for us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm knocking wood some more just because I feel like us di disagreeing is, is makes it a, a threat for all these fights to fall apart. So knocking all <laughs> sorts of wood. That's right, indeed. Um, let's step outside the Showtime boxing universe for these last few minutes of the show. Uh, first, we had a fight card on Fox this past Saturday. The first live boxing on that network since quarantine began in the main event. Veteran welterweight Jamal James outpointed one-time hot prospect Thomas Delorme over 12 rounds. Scores were 117-111, 116-112, and a probably too close 115-113. Decent scrap, fairly competitive all the way, but James fighting effectively inside and outside clearly earned the win. Uh, his seventh in a row since suffering the lone loss of his career against Ordenis Ugas in 2016. So James is a good fighter and pretty much any division he's a top 10 contender, but welterweight is probably the deepest division in boxing. So what do you think? Coming off this win, is he top 10 at 147? It's really close. Uh, like you said, with, with his level of ability and his resume, he's top 10 quality in probably any other division. But 147 is tough to crack. The B-level names on James's resume are, are really adding up. Uh, Juan Carlos Abreu, Javier Molina, Waleo Motoso, Diego Chavez, and aging Antonio DeMarco. Now add Delorme to that list. No, no shame. Yeah, not not bad. Uh, no, and you know, there's no shame in a decision loss to Ugas. You know, that's, so that, that's a really solid run over the past five years. He might be top five in some weight classes with a, a resume like that. But at 147, here's the Transnational Boxing Rankings Board current rankings. No way he's cracking top seven on this list. It's Spence, Pacquiao, Crawford, Porter, Ugas, Thurman, Danny Garcia. There's your top seven. <laughs> yeah. Um, then you get to Mikey Garcia. Great mm -hmm. fighter, but he hasn't done much in the division yet. Uh, Kudratio Abdukakarov and Sergei Lipinets. Uh, Jesse Vargas doesn't even make that top ten right now. Wow. That's how good that division is. So should James make it? Well, Abdukakarov and Lipinets are meeting on Showtime October 10th in an excellent fight. So a spot should open up 
when one of them loses. Uh, but on welterweight resume, just what they've done in this class, I think James is actually probably above the two of them right now in terms of what he's proven at 147. I don't know if he's one of the 10 best welterweights in terms of talent, but mm. on the basis of resume and earning it, yeah, he's, he's probably number nine or so. And this was certainly another solid win over Delorme on Saturday. So, yeah, if I'm making the rankings, I think he has earned a spot at the very bottom of the top 10 now. All right. Um, we have a couple of other fights airing this coming Saturday. Uh, nothing major. The Showtime triple header is clearly the biggest card of the weekend. And we're not just saying that. It really is. Um, but we also have an ESPN show. Headlined by Carl Frampton versus Farhan Vardanyan and Michael Conlon against Sofian Takusht in the co-feature. Uh, and on zone, the outdoor Tulsa card we've probably talked about far too much over the last several weeks. Uh, presently headlined by Cecilia Brakus against Jessica McCaskill. Uh, anything you're looking forward to out of those fights? I could keep this really brief and say no and be done. <laughs> um, I, I guess I'm looking forward to seeing the outdoor in the street setup in Tulsa. Just want to see what that looks like. Um, and Cecilia Brakus is a tremendous fighter. Carl Frampton is usually fun to watch. I'm by no means dreading any of this. It's correct. It, it's just that these are all more showcases than fights. With one possible exception, McCaskill isn't bad. So if Breka starts showing her age, that could get interesting. Uh, if not, if she's still the Cecilia Breakus that, that we've gotten to know, uh, then it's it's still kind of a showcase type fight. Um, you know, on, on the whole, while I shouldn't and won't complain about having live boxing to watch, I look at these cards and neither of them are appointment viewing. Let's say that. Right. Right. Um, a few news items here and... The big one is, unfortunately, a positive COVID test and a pretty good fight getting removed from the schedule for now. Jorge Linares tested positive for the virus late last week. According to his manager, Jose de la Cruz, he does have symptoms and went to the hospital. So his August 28th bout against Javier Fortuna is at least postponed, with ESPN.com reporting that Golden Boy is looking to find a new opponent for Fortuna and move ahead with the card at Fantasy Springs in Indio, California. Linares' health is, of course, our top concern. But as far as the fight falling out goes, where are you on the bummed-o-meter with this one, Kieran? <laughs> uh, uh, definitely bummed, actually. Uh, first of all, look, as you mentioned, the most important thing by far is Linares' health. Um, apart from anything else, super freaking nice guy, Jorge Linares. Still mm -hmm. one of my favorites of all our Radio Row interviews that we've done, um, simply because of what a, like a really charming and, and, and nice guy he was um, and is. Uh, so we wish him the best there and hope he recovers fully. And uh, also, yes, from the point of view of a person who gets his kicks from people giving each other concussions, uh, yes, I'm definitely bummed <laughs> as it had all the makings. I think of a fun fight, not so much necessarily because of Fortuna, although he's, of course, a very solid boxer. He's not always in the most exciting fights, but because you never know which Jorge Linares is going to show up. Yep. Is it the guy who can beat Luke Campbell uh, and give Vasily Lomachenko a tough fight? Or is it the guy who gets knocked out in the first round by Pablo Cesar Cano or Sergio Thompson? So uh, who knows? And when he's uh, when he's on form and he looks good, Linares is a fun fighter to watch. And you just never know. He just might well get tagged. Um, but anyway, yes, let us hope that Linares gets better. And uh, I would like to see that fight rescheduled. Yeah. Uh, talking of Lomachenko, last week we discussed the reports that his bout against Teofimo Lopez was in doubt over money. We have a bit of an update there in the form of a tweet from Lopez, which read, 
The fight is going to happen. Stuff like this sometimes takes a little longer to happen, and that's why it's called negotiating for a reason. Dumbasses! Exclamation point. <laughs> um, Eric, do you take Lopez at his word that it's going to get done, and are we, in fact, dumbasses? <laughs> well, I, I would judge each observer's dumbassedness individually. Uh, <laughs> I mean... You're a high school dropout, so you, you might be a dumbass. I might uh, well be. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I get his point. The fight isn't necessarily in trouble over money. He's just trying to get as much money as he can. So my instinct is to take him at his word that he wouldn't say the fight is going to happen if he wasn't at least somewhat confident that it will happen. Then again, he's not great at driving a hard bargain. You know, a, a better negotiator doesn't tweet that the fight is right. going to happen, right? That that right. hurts his bargaining power. Who's the dumbass now, Teofimo? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I think it's going to happen because Teofimo legitimately wants to get a shot at getting future Hall of Famer Vasily Lomachenko's name on his record, and the window to fight him while they're at the same weight isn't going to stay yeah. open for long. So I, I do still think that fight's going to happen. Um, a quick item here that doesn't require any analysis, but we'll just pass along that heavyweight prospect F.A. Ajagba has signed with top rank. So maybe that means we'll see him in the next series of ESPN nice. bubble cards. Uh, and a sad note to end on, Wilbert Skeeter McClure, an Olympic teammate of Muhammad Ali's in 1960, gold medalist in the light middleweight division, died last week at the age of 81. Uh, actually, McClure was not just a teammate of Ali's. He was his roommate in Rome. Uh, McClure turned pro after the Olympics and won his first 14 fights, but was about a 500 fighter the rest of his career, retiring with a record of 24-8-1, notably losing twice to Luis Rodriguez and drawing against Ruben Hurricane Carter. After retiring, McClure earned a doctorate degree in psychology and became a psychotherapist in Massachusetts. Not too shabby for an ex-pug. Uh, Thomas Hauser republished on Boxing Scene last week some old quotes from an interview he conducted with McClure about his time with young Ali. I know you read those also, Kieran. Anything notable worth highlighting? Uh, yeah, lots. Um, wow, that was just a goldmine of, of quotes about young Ali, that, that story. Um, uh, I love the way that, that McClure talks about, and it says a lot about the, the, the immensity of Muhammad Ali, that we're talking about this, as you said, this psychotherapist and Olympic gold medalist, and we're talking about his roommate, um, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, it's just, which is not a reflection on McClure. It's all about Ali. But, but I love the way that he talks about how even then, back in 1960, or even back before then, Ali was super talkative. Um, but he could sometimes be just truly all talk. So I love this anecdote. They were on a team in 1958 together, representing Chicago in an intercity amateur tournament against New York. Uh, this is McClure talking. Uh, we trained together, and I remember Cassius kept bugging everybody on the team, saying, man, there are all these pretty girls on the street, all these pretty girls walking around. we got to meet some of these girls. And the rest of us weren't interested in that. We were just there to fight. But he kept agitating and asking and saying, come on, let's put on our jackets and go someplace to impress the girls. So finally, the coaches set it up. It was all Cassius is doing. They took us to Marshall High School, which was a huge school in Chicago. We had pretty girls as hostesses to show us around. Then we went to the cafeteria for lunch, which was filled with more pretty girls. There were pretty girls sitting everywhere. And the guy who'd been agitating just sat there, staring at the food on his tray the whole time. He didn't say a word. I mean, he was so shy. We teased him about it for days afterward, and all he did 
is look at us and shrug his shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that quote. Yeah, just awesome. Great. All right, that will do it for another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We will be back next week with in-depth coverage and analysis of the Benavides Angulo triple header. And we will look ahead to some intriguing non-Showtime fights, including Dylan White, Alexander Kovetkin, and Elidur Alvarez against Joe Smith. Until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.